Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. And I am Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, uh, and uh, you know where the ca- coffee is always hot. The donuts it's always fresh. Hot. It's scalding hot. We have to put labels on the little cups. Yes. We don't want to get sued. Uh, but anyway, Sam Ziggy Rodriguez is here. Yes. And we are joined again <laughs> uh, uh, by Leah Jacobson. And Leah, we are so happy to have you here. Hi. Thanks yes. for having me. <laughs> <laughs> um, she is the CEO and founder of the Guiding Star Project, guidingstarproject.com. You want to know more information about that. Um, she's also written a wonderful book, Holistic Feminism, Healing the Identity Crisis Caused by the Women's Movement. Uh, LumenPress.org and Amazon are a couple of places where you can get it. Um, and I know she's trucking around a couple of them in her trunk. If you happen to see her, wave her down, flag her down, and she'll sell you one out of the back of her trunk. Uh, and uh, I'll, true. I'll, yeah. It's true, I will. <laughs> that's right, that's right. She will. She wants to get the word out. Just jump on the hood while she's driving. Be well, safe okay, about don't, it. Okay, uh, be safe, yeah. Wait till she's come to a light. Um, but Leah uh, has uh, graciously agreed to join us here for a series of uh, six episodes talking about feminism and more specifically about holistic or the new feminism as as opposed to the the old waves of feminism which have been destructive to society in many ways and uh, this is our fourth episode together so if this is the first time you're joining us um, go to the website thecatholiccafe.com and you'll be able to see the uh, the, the previous three um, and uh, it really is we're doing a deep dive into feminism and we're talking about a lot of stuff you don't hear a lot of times uh, and this is why we invited Leah here because she's bringing a great perspective. Sure, I'm just so happy that you guys are wanting to talk about feminism on a Catholic Cafe show. You know, I occasionally like the, to get in touch with my feminine side. Well, you and this know, is it. Yeah, the home of the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. This is a male-dominated uh, booth in yeah. the Catholic Cafe, but there are some other booths here. If you want to, you're welcome <laughs> to be. We invited you into this booth because we need your voice. And you brought me donuts, and it feels very it's, comfortable. It's like it's like a little microcosm of the church, yeah. you know, that, that we've invited you in because we need to hear the feminine voice. Yeah, it's an, it's a, a valid and important voice to be heard, yeah. uh, not to be quashed or, uh, you know, only and limited. And to be clear, I've been raised in the church, and I have never felt ever that our church has ever tried to quiet the voice of women and so i i feel incredibly Shh, i'm just kidding <laughs> speak when spoken to leah who, who gave you sorry, a i couldn't resist and I'm we're sorry. done yes. we've never had a walk-off on the catholic cafe this could be our first one thanks sam appreciate that sorry no, we're I, saying. <laughs> It is interesting you bring that up because, and I know it's kind of a departure where we were going to go today. But uh, I, I just I think that there are a lot of people that that it's easy to to pick on the church, sure, and say like just because you got the, the that male pope, all yep. the male bishops, the male priests, the male deacons, you won't ordain the women. Yeah, you hate women, obviously. Mm, yeah, but you've never felt that. No, no, and I've always felt, and maybe it's just be, I was really blessed, maybe to grow up in a home that upheld the feminine gifts and qualities. Yeah. I've always felt like I had my own unique, special way to contribute at, during the Mass, during whatever, whatever. Um, I've never in any way felt that men are held in a superior position to women. I've always felt that it's complementary. You know, we have our own gifts and strengths we bring to the church and that only we can do. Yeah, amen. Well, yeah. Mother Teresa, she had a 
beautiful point that she made regarding this, where she said, uh, when she was asked about ordaining women, she said, well, no one was more worthy of being ordained a priest than our Blessed Mother. Uh, and yet, she was not consecrated to the priesthood. So that tells us that it cannot be about worthiness. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no, and in fact, in many ways, I feel like God, in some ways, have spared women the responsibilities and the burden of the priesthood because we have maybe more important work. I don't know. No, I don't know if there's anything more important than the work of a priest in bringing the graces and the sacraments. There are things that are equally important. There are things that are equally important, and that if women are caught like up, bringing forth human beings, amen, making disciples, yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally making disciples. That's amen. a beautiful way to look at it. Amen. Well, so let's talk about uh, what we came to talk about today. That's it's. it's connected to in all of this uh but uh the crisis in women's health care yeah now yeah. a lot of people it's like well is there really a crisis because we have all these quote-unquote women's clinics sure. right we've got planned parenthood out there doing all these great things for women <laughs> sure. i mean i'm I, you know i'm being facetious obviously but the reality is they present themselves as yes. a women's clinic as a health care facility well and not just that as as uh, a major source of major trustworthy source of information as well yeah Right. Uh, it's one it's part of their branding. Well, and it's just all incredibly unfortunate that, you know, women's health care has basically gained its own definition. You know, we look at health and we look at health care and typically health is understood as, you know, the optimal functioning of a body free from disease. And then you look at the definition of women's health care. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, all these other kind of facets start to come into play about, you know, her social and emotional relationships and her sense of safety and her well-being and all these other kind of uh, variations of her, uh, her mind, her body, her spirit come into play here, but not necessarily in the most authentic way uh, because it's, it's able to say the body doesn't necessarily have to be functioning optimally for a woman to be healthy. It's more focused on empowerment, that word that gets used all the time, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so what I, you know, see when you mentioned groups like Planned Parenthood and you mentioned women's health kind of clinics, I honestly see that as, as a, a very strong act of paternalism um, and a lack of bodily autonomy is being given to women in those types of settings. It's Let's a, give them their own little clinic. Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in in medical ethics... You know, there are the, the principles that ethicists refer to and how medicine should be delivered to patients ethically. And one of the principles is, you know, uh, veracity, truth has to be presented. Uh, patient autonomy has to always be respected. And paternalism must be avoided. And what we're seeing in women's health care is a very, like, well, you don't understand how to take care of yourself. And so we're just going to help you here. We're going to tell you how to do this. It's, it's a very condescending. Instead of telling a woman, this is how your natural body would function free of disease, we're just going to say, well, you know, you don't really know how to take care of that. It's really difficult. A female body is really weird, unique, whatever. Let's just put a patch on it because I'm comfortable with that and you can be comfortable with that. Um, when the reality is most of our healthcare providers just don't know what a naturally healthy female body does. Okay, and, I, and I think it goes further also because I think that like with, with groups like uh, Planned Parenthood, um, where they'll, they'll present themselves uh, as, a, as a facility there to help you know, all of the various aspects of women's needs mm. health-wise, yep. <clears throat> there's really an underlying agenda. Yeah, I mean, they don't actually provide any services pertaining to natural fertility. They would argue with that. Well, in all fairness, they would argue with that. They but would argue the with that. The data will show you, if you look at 
enough data, you'll realize they're really only doing one thing. Yeah, well, contraception, feeding into abortion. Yeah. I mean, those are their primary services that they provide to women under the guise of women's health care. Right. Um, but I would argue, you know, if you look at a woman's body uniquely from a man's body and say, a female body that is optimized and fully healthy, what will it naturally do? It will ovulate, it will gestate, and it will lactate. I mean, there are three unique functions to a woman's body that if you're going to say you're in the field of women's health care, you ought to be experts in those fields, in optimizing a woman's health throughout her fertility, making sure her cycle is, is, is you know, regular or going, when, I'm regular is such a silly word, I even hesitate to say that because there's such right. diversity <clears throat> among women with regular. Um, and pregnancy, prenatal services, childbirth, birth choice, empowerment in the, in the birthing room, the delivery space, and then obviously breastfeeding. Um, I'm a board certified lactation consultant and I can tell you that by the time a lot of women end up in my office, they are broken from the women's health care system. The women, and and the, their mind has been flooded with all kinds of bad information. All sorts of negativity, you know, from the point where they first started menstruating as a 12, 13-year-old little girl, where they were kind of shushed up about it, like this is something to be embarrassed about, um, you know, to the point where they become pregnant and then their pregnancy is atypical or difficult and then they believe they can't have a natural delivery they end up with a delivery that's very highly medicated or augmented by the time they get to me to breastfeed they are convinced that their body does not work that they are a lemon that you know the universe has played a, a terribly bad joke upon them and that they just feel this obligation to breastfeed because they know breast is best but yet they don't think it will work and then that that the the breast is best part the the breastfeeding part <clears throat> that's gone through its own sort of cycle of acceptance, right? It Absolutely. was the way it was, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is better. Because yep. uh, my parents talk about the fact that, you know, we were bottle fed. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because formula you, was the thing. If you match up women's healthcare practices in terms <clears throat> of fertility, childbearing, and breastfeeding with the waves of feminism, feminism has been incredibly inconsistent on whether or not it believes a woman's body is doing something worthwhile or good. And so in the second wave of feminism, right at the sexual revolution, we hit an all-time low breastfeeding rate in the United States of 24%. 20, wow. 24% of infants were even attempted to be breastfed in 1971. And now we see, you know, we're up over 80%, which is a pretty pretty darn big swing in the, in the course of a generation of women. Um, but it was absolutely considered to be a kind of a waste of time, like it wasn't worth doing. It was, right. you know, it, women were told that their contributions were better served in the workplace or someplace else. Like breastfeeding their child was a very low priority at that point, and there was no support given. And the medical professionals would, you know, even make comments and say things like, well, it's better for both of you not to, not to do that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that information is out there. And that's the, I guess that's the sadness, and maybe that's the crisis that currently exists in women's health care. So what's the answer? To that, I mean, what what do you have to do? I mean, because you've got a lot of those quote unquote little clinics everywhere that are very available and very welcoming. Well, I I mean, I really believe that a consistent message about women's bodies and their natural functions would go a long way if we could say that women's bodies, what they naturally do, is always good, always beneficial to the health of society always in all circumstances and that we made that the basis and the definition of what is healthy for women that would go a long way because that right there would refute when you have a women's health care clinic that its main service is to terminate a healthy viable pregnancy that should fly in the face like that to me is absolute misogyny that is saying that what this woman's body is doing 
what it is successfully creating with this new life and within this pregnancy, by saying that you can just destroy that, that's an act of hatred towards what a woman's body is capable Not of. Not only that, but there's also what what we even as human beings don't fully understand. It's it's easier for me not to understand it as a man uh, because I can't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. But having witnessed uh, the pregnancies with my wife and and see that, that there, there, there is a physiological connection between the baby and the mom that I don't have, that I can't experience with that baby in utero, right? And so there's a there's a physical but also psychological spiritual connection that happens, right? And so when you terminate that, yeah. when you when you essentially cut that out, yeah. that's fine for a cancer, yeah, but not for something that's healthy. Then the body says, well, "What did you just do?" Yep. And so there are all these other complications that then start to happen. Yeah, and for the most part, we found it pretty convenient to kind of ignore them. We don't really like to look at the link between, you know, potential breast cancer and abortion. That's something that's kind right. of shushed and, like, people don't want to talk about Oh, we believe that. in science. Don't bring up your little old wives' tales. Yeah. Which turn out to be scientifically founded. Yeah, yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, if we can create a healthcare system where women's health means healthy women's bodies, natural bodies unaltered, unsuppressed by chemicals, drugs, surgeries, that is a game changer. That changes everything. You know, Leah, as I'm listening to you, something is occurring to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Correct me if I'm wrong. But it almost seems to me that a woman's fertility cycle is being treated as a disease state right now in the field of women's health care. Just the natural functioning of her fertility cycle. I'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts related to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would agree with you. Um, I think that, um, unfortunately, this is not typically a part of um, the medical school curriculum. A lot of doctors are not given the education and the information they need to really understand what a healthy cycle should look like. And so they are. it's easy for them to believe that any slight variation or difficulty off of a woman's cycle, say she says, oh, I'm... You know, I'm, I'm bleeding for four days. You know, that's so over, over the top. Um, well, a healthcare provider that hasn't received education on that could easily say, yeah, that does sound like a disease state, whereas that is absolutely within the realm of normal. That's a normal variation off of a woman's cycle. Um, but when we have these undereducated physicians on what natural fertility looks like, um, we do start to treat our regularly healthy body um, as a disease state. And, and I think... Um, just put everybody on the pill and just say that fixes things, makes everybody normal, so to speak. Yeah, it reduces variation, that's for sure. I mean, we absolutely have a, a cycle that's understood to be 28 days as the norm, you know, and then you take your placebo pills and you bleed for a few days and then you've had your, your you know, your bleed. Um, so that's your cycle. But the whole thing is artificial. Your body thinks it's pregnant when it's on the pill. It doesn't even, the hormonal uh, differentiation that's happening is absolutely uh, artificial. It's not even close to a natural cycle. Um, and so we do treat the natural healthy cycle as the abnormal because it's now become uh, the minority. And so you as a women's health care professional, would you say that there's a loss? Uh, you know, most people, when they talk about within the Catholic context, uh, the, the, a woman's cycle and fertility, it's all wrapped up in, in, in matters of sex and sexuality, right? You only look at your cycle to, uh, you know, if you're a married woman and it's time to, uh, you know, figure out whether or not you want to have a baby or not, and, and that's when you need to turn to, your, to charting your cycle. But what I'm hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
that a woman's cycle is a source as a critical source of health information, but it's being completely lost by the current state of their health care. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. There, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Marguerite Duane, is the founder of Facts about Fertility, which is the Fertility Awareness Consortium to teach the science. Um, and their organization is actually dedicated to getting into medical schools to teach med students about what a healthy female cycle should look like. Um, and Dr. Marguerite Duane has a presentation called um, The Female Cycle, the Fifth Vital Sign. And she talks about that in order for a woman to be deemed you know, healthy, You've got her regular vitals, but you have her fertility. Her cycle is a sign of her health overall. Uh, and women should be taught this information outside of the context of their uh, sexuality because this is just a part of their body. It's not necessarily only a family planning issue. This is a sign of health. And we should we should know all about it. But Yeah, and that's the key. I think is we're talking about, like, really, it's just it's one aspect of, of the health care system. Uh, or holistic healthcare for a woman, especially mm-hmm. um, that you're, you're, and I, I know that there are some undereducated physicians. There's also some good ones out there that that know, but they're but they're basically sometimes hamstrung in terms of like what they can do and what they can't offer because there's so many other things that are going on here. Because we've got some of these uh, women's health facilities or clinics. You know they're they're offering everything from abortion to contraception, but they're also starting to talk about uh, gender uh, transitioning yeah. uh, or or psychological help uh, in in realizing your new gender and 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 all these things that are now becoming part of the healthcare system that are actually essentially destroying women's health care. Well, and unfortunately, I think healthcare for women has been used as a vehicle. It's been a tool for an ideological movement. Um, Healthcare providers have always been trusted sources for uh, information. They've always been kind of the expert. You know, we look year after year at the most trusted professions in our country, and the top five, I think, you know, three or four of them every year are physicians, nurses, pharmacists. And so the healthcare industry, they are people that we rely upon to tell us what is good and what is bad, what is healthy, what is not healthy. And so when they are being formed in a worldview um, of women's health care that is contrary to respecting the natural body. Um, when they are being told this is the parameters of how you are allowed to practice, it changes our entire cultural understanding of what women's bodies should naturally be doing. Right, so I want to get back to that word holistic. Yeah. Right, because health care ultimately has to be holistic. And we're talking about like holistic feminism. Yeah. We're also talking about holistic health care yep. for women, especially. Um, and that's something that I, I want to spend a few minutes talking about this um, wonderful Guiding Star project that you're part of, that you started. Mm-hmm. Because what, what it essentially does is it really does what it says in terms of women's health care. I mean, yeah. it provides a holistic approach. Yep. Whereas you'll go to like a Planned Parenthood or somewhere like that, there is an agenda. Yeah, I think the the word that I kind of use to describe the current women's healthcare worldview, it's very reductionistic. Yes. It reduces us down to our biological functions, um, which is funny because that's the same sort of argument that will be lobbed at me saying, well, you're just reducing women to being It's mothers. all about having babies. Yeah, so you just think women should be, yeah, moms all the time or they have to breastfeed or they have to do these things. And, and we're saying, no, a truly holistic approach is going to look at your social, your mental, all these other types of well-being, which women's healthcare is often defined as having a much broader than just the biological function. But ironically, women's health care is almost focused exclusively on suppressing and shutting down the biological function. Right. So, Which causes more problems. 
it's just an in- incredibly ironic sort of state right now. Um, and so what we try to do at Guiding Star is to say, look, all of your body is good all of the time. And what it naturally does deserves to be seen. It deserves to be supported and optimized. And we're here to do that. We're here to walk alongside you as you learn to navigate your female body. So how many locations do you have the Guiding Star? And yeah. where, where where is Guiding Star? Yeah, well, we have one here in Memphis. Um, but there are six locations across four states. Uh, there are three in Iowa. So I, I love Iowa. They seem to get it. Um, there's Marshalltown, Cedar Valley, and Orange City, Iowa. We've got one in Minnesota in the Twin Cities. Um, we have one in Texas uh, in El Paso. So. And what and what fruits have you seen from Guiding Star projects in those six places? It's been really wonderful to watch because some of them started as pregnancy centers that had been serving women dealing with a, a crisis situation or mm-hmm. a difficult sort of pregnancy. And in those settings in particular, when you bring the Guiding Star worldview of holistic health, you begin to see women that are not only choosing life for their babies, but they're choosing a type of motherhood that it takes into account what their body is capable of. They're becoming just strong, strong advocates for themselves um, far beyond just the right to have their baby. Um, they're becoming advocates for themselves in the workplace. You know, I want to nurse my baby. They're becoming protectors of these children, and it's really giving them a whole new sense of empowerment as they appreciate and love their body. Can I ask a quick question? You know, we spoke in a previous episode about the gender ideology separating sex and gender, right, and separating the mind and the body. With holistic feminism as a return to integrating, you know, that mind, body, and spirit, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. can you talk about this, the, the difference between, uh, from a, a healthcare impact of, the, of separating mind and body versus approaching mind and body is, is in, in a unitive way? Well, I think that when you allow that separation to sit out there as a possibility, as a provider, um, you know, as somebody, as a lactation consultant, I don't do my patients a favor when I allow that like open that open door um, of well I you know have these breasts but I don't necessarily feel like I should lactate um, when we leave the body out of um, our health care when we leave the body out of um, our health just who we are as a whole human being it makes health care a very difficult place it, it removes truth. I think that's the way to say it. Um, it's a hard thing to kind of navigate um, in the healthcare profession right now because, you know, there are people coming into the office asking um, for services that are not biologically aligned with the body they were given. And as a healthcare provider, in our current culture right now, we still do have some freedom to say, you know, that's not a service I provide, but that's, that's potentially going away if we do not reconnect the reality of the mind and the body needing to be integrated with one another. Um, so, for instance, in my field, um, we have been advocated, or we've been told, directed from our international agencies that we no longer refer to um, mothers as breastfeeding. It's the lactating parent chest feeding. Yeah. And so removing these words that previously have been protected, respected, revered, it is limiting my ability to really elevate and help her know that this is good and this is beautiful and this is true. And it's all done, um, you know, for a sense of inclusion and a sense of diversity. Um, 
But I'm finding that when we don't reconnect the mind and the body, when we leave this sort of open door to go anywhere, we're not able to serve the people that need the help the most with the correct words. You know, you said that uh, healthcare, there's, there's an ideology that's being pushed. There's a big difference between philosophy and science. And ideology is not a science. You know, it, 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 would you say that there, this is more ideologically driven than, rather than scientifically driven about what's good for a human person? Absolutely. I would say it's ideologically and politically. It's very politically driven right now. Um, you know, the words we're using to describe relationships, um, it's very political. Uh, and it, it is complicating. It's complicating the field of healthcare by not holding to a, the biological truth of, of man, of woman, of keeping these de- definitions clear. Um, it makes it very uh, difficult for us. We are walking on eggshells in many instances, wanting to just love this person with the good news, the truth about their body, the ability of their body, the beauty of it. But when that person doesn't necessarily understand or want that for themselves, it's very it's 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 a hard time to be in the field of healthcare. So that's where I agree with you that we really need to speak about these things and talk about them and not see them as female problems that that that, that are hushed and 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 put behind the curtain and don't bring them out you know and there were there was a day when uh time not so long ago that uh when a woman was pregnant she didn't go out in public yeah <laughs> i mean it's just like you think about the, the way times have changed in yeah. fact I, I, when my wife was uh, pub, uh pregnant with our first baby we went to um she was very pregnant and we went to england on a trip and mm. we looked around and we realized she while we were there for like 10 or 12 days we never saw another pregnant person in public. Now, I'm not saying that it was shunned or whatever, but there, there was a tendency not to, to be public or present about, especially the woman and, and her body and what yeah. was going on with her body. And something is natural and beautiful. We're like, hey, she's pregnant. Isn't this great? Yeah. You know, and they're like, um, we don't talk about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I really hope that the church, you know, begins to embrace that theology of the body a bit more with how it pertains to women's bodies. Amen. So we're so glad to have you here, um, Leah. Leah Jacobson is the CEO and founder of the Guiding Star Project. If you want to know more about the Guiding Star Project and what it's doing and where it's doing it and how to get one started in your area, you just go to guidingstar.com. Uh, guidingstarproject.com to find out more. Leah, thank you again for talking to us uh, about all this stuff. And we got a couple more shows to do uh, on feminism and, and, and where that's taking us. I'm really, really appreciative uh, of you being here. Thank you. You're so welcome. And so let's ask Blessed Mother to watch over us in this project. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.